0: What if your brain could tell you exactly how to influence your team? On today's podcast, the spy master at the CIA asked Mike Mears over 20 years ago why his people weren't changing. Mike found the answer was in the brain and created the CIA leadership academy. On today's podcast, you'll hear some incredible stories from Mike's years at the CIA and learn how to leverage your brain to create significant change on your team. Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host Mitch Simon on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, we have our fabulous co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. How are you? I
1: am fabulous today. Thank you.
0: Today on the podcast, we have Mike Mears. And I'm really excited about this. Mike Mears is the former CIA's Chief of Human Capital. Mike has been in a 20-year journey to understand leadership, culture, and change resistance, leading him to create the CIA Leadership Academy. Today, Mike is an author, speaker, and an international leadership consultant. Mike, how are you today?
2: I am great, and hello, Mitch and Jenny. Thank you for having me
0: on. Great, and I understand that Mike and Jenny live pretty close together. We do, So, Mike, please tell us what has surprised you the most over the last two years?
2: Well, Mitch, I would say myself. I'm probably the oldest guest you've ever had here. I'm an old dog, but I learned a new trick because of virtual work. I love virtual work for myself. I bristle about virtual work for organizations that are trying to build culture, especially rapid-growing ones. And so I finally decided after dragging through COVID and seeing how well it worked, that I would test my negativity on one of the world's leading experts. So last weekend, I went up to see a guy named Raj Chowdhury, who taught at Wharton, Harvard Business School, everywhere. And the reason I picked him was he started on this area before COVID, number one. And number two, he's positive about it. So I wanted to test my negativity with a guy who was positive. And the scales fell from my eyes, I guess. It was fascinating to talk to him because what I had done, when somebody says virtual work, I always think somebody's in their bunny slippers 365 days a year in the <laughs> bedroom, right? right? And where we had a really wonderful meeting of the minds is we're talking hybrid virtual. There still wow. has to be some face-to-face to build those human linkages. I had an old psychology prof who really wrote the book on human drives, Paul Lawrence. And mm-hmm. he always told me, he said that there are four drives, one of them is bonding. And he said, that's first among equals. So this bonding thing that we humans do is absolutely crucial. And what Raj told me was, of course, the data is not all in, but it looks like if you get people together 23 to up to 40 percent of the time based on different studies, you can build culture and still have them work virtually the rest of the time. So what does that translate to? Well, that could be, if you're local, that might go into the office one or two days a week. If you're farther away, you go in one week a month. Or some teams are doing this like 15 days a quarter. And it's interesting that some of the advanced thinkers like Salesforce.com have actually got set up Trailblazer Ranch out in your area, Mitch, in the Redwoods, 75-acre ranch and they go there for 15 days and cook together and eat together and do activities together to do that bonding. So, okay, the old dog has reluctantly swung around (laughs) to accept hybrid virtual work.
1: Just to throw in a comment here, what an example of your own leadership that you very purposely sought out contrary evidence. You saw that you felt one way and you said, boy, maybe I need to talk. There are other experts out there. <laughs> and you found out, you went to the heart of some great information. Thanks yeah. for sharing
0: that. Yes. I do think that it's looking at it through a different lens. It's because we come from the lens of five days a week. You know, Maybe 10 years from now, people will go, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah. People won't remember. All right. So definitely, Mike, we want to hear your story. What was the spark that started your 20-year journey to understand leadership? And where did that journey lead you?
2: Well, I had somebody ask me a question that changed my life. I've always been interested in leadership because I was a West Point grad and all that going way back. But I was in an interesting perch over 20 years ago at CIA where I was a senior executive and my role was special, let me think about the title, special counselor to the deputy director of operations for leadership and management. That's (laughs) Well, that's <laughs> well, like Jenny. That's like you introduced yeah. me, Jenny. Yes, right? It's her well, name. <laughs> well, the, we call it the DDO. He or she is the spy master. So when you think of the person that's running global CIA operations, knows who all the spies are around the world, collecting data, secrets, that's this person, the spy master. And so I am ostensibly the person that knows all about leadership and management to be able to counsel him. So I get a call, Mike, come up right away, the DDO, the spymaster, wants to see you. And so I don't know about you guys, but do you ever get that little spike of fear when somebody high up, <laughs> oh, you like, what have I done now, right?
1: Especially with the title of spymaster. Oh,
0: <laughs> Especially CIA spymaster. Oh, yes, I would not want that call.
2: <laughs> so I said, can you tell me what it's about? <laughs> and the receptionist said, no, it's important, get up here right away. So I go uh, rushing up the stairs and uh, walk into his office and he's signing something and finally looks up at me and he says, Mike, why is it when I pull the levers, nothing happens? And at first my mind's reeling, what's he mean by the levers? Oh, he means the metric system, reward system. We've talked about that stuff. And the second thing that hit me was a little spike of fear is, oh my gosh, here's a person in ostensibly one of the most powerful positions in the world who feels hamstrung by something. What's going on here? And now, lest you think that this is a CIA issue, since that time, I've had a chairman of the board of, I won't say specifically, one of the two biggest insurance companies in the world ask me the same question a CEO of one of the biggest oil companies. Now they don't ask questions like this in groups, but in a bar over beer or wine, they might slip with something like this. So that started me thinking, okay, what is it about somebody perched at the top of a hierarchy feeling absolutely powerless? What's that all about? And I have thought of that question literally every day since then And it's led me to uh, down through a wonderful path. It took me eight years, Jenny, (laughs) to figure out that the answer is innate human Uh. change resistance. But that's not the solution. That's the why. And then I started working with neuroscientists and psychologists on, okay, we all resist change to a fault. I think Mitch resists change because the change in my head is not the change in his head. And he does the opposite with me. Okay. So we all resist change. We know that it's a chemical function in the brain. Why is it that we can still accomplish great things, transform organizations, inspire people? So what goes on in the brain that allows it? So anyway, that's where my voyage took me. And I've been working with psychologists and neuroscientists ever since to come up with a way that, okay, how do we take leadership and make it fit human nature instead of taking some leadership theory and force fitting it on human nature. And I mean to tell you, it has been the most exciting being a spy, but this has been more exciting. This has been the most exciting journey in my life.
0: That's incredible. So what the spy master was asking you was, I pulled the lever, nothing really happens. And then your conclusion was, well, what's happening is humans don't like change. They resist change. And so what you thought was, if I can transform how humans deal with change from a human perspective, then I could transform leadership.
2: And okay. in fact, Mitch, think about this. If you know what the magic ingredient is, huh? you could cut the number of reorganizations in half. Yeah. Because you wouldn't need to do this awful, forceful, hurricane-like, destructive right. things to achieve soft ends. like. You want more innovation, agility, collaboration, whatever. Well, don't reorganize. There are
0: other things that you need to do. So without sharing any CIA secrets, <laughs> what is the magic formula then?
2: But so basic, I'm a little embarrassed.
0: Okay, I'm ready. One,
2: one part is, if you look at the human brain, the biggest part of the real estate is devoted to vision or visualization. In fact, that part of the brain is to takes up as much areas as Asia does in the world map, about 40%. Uh-huh. So if you take that, then you realize why a lot of things work. For example, visually displayed data, uh-huh. case studies. Case studies are stories. Stories are incredibly powerful because that's the way the brain operates, and that's part of that visualization. So you just start tracking that and you come up with a wealth of actions that you can take that have been around for a long time, but now you understand why they work. Seeing is believing. Mm -hmm. It strengthens the importance of a leader's behaviors because I see, Mitch, you walk in the office in the morning and I'm watching your behaviors, and I'm doing the narrative and gap-filling, trying to figure out who you are based on your behaviors. So if you came in and you smiled and said hello, you greeted me, I've got one vision. If you walk right by me, I've got a totally different story in my head. So again, the visioning now focuses back on very tiny micro and small behaviors that leaders should be doing every day. So that's one clump. Now, another clump is even more bizarre. I was working with one of the two neuroscientists who discovered Insight after 9-11. His name's John Cunyos, and Mark Beeman was his partner. Their theory was that Insight is not fast decision-making. In other words, it's not in the prefrontal cortex. It's not analytical. There's something else going on with Insight. And what they did was took the -the state-of-the-art scanning equipment of the day and ran experiments causing people to have insight. And this is where it starts to get a little bizarre. They noted a flash of energy, not in the prefrontal cortex, but in a tiny spot above the right ear. And it's an instantaneous flash, just like in the cartoons. You see the, car- the little light bulb going on. It's concurrent with you're in a relaxed state, and your brain waves increase. They don't know why. There's that flash of energy. New neurons are put together, knitted together instantaneously. Here's the interesting part. This produces a mix of cocktails in the brain that give you an absolute sense of certainty. So let's say you're doing a crossword puzzle. Jenny, you're stuck on this word. And then finally, oh, I see. That's an aha, and it produced that chemical complex that gave you a sense of certainty to actually write that down on your crossword puzzle. That's a small aha. But what's interesting is it, that sense of certainty is so crucial because it gets you around all these hidden fears. We've got the survival instinct, which holds us in place, makes us anti-change because it could be dangerous, and it allows us to do big things. So I'll tell you a quick story. Here's a story about two CI directors, and I won't say his name for obvious reasons, but we're walking down the hall, seventh floor the executive suite. We're walking down the hall, and he turns to me, and he says, Mike, why aren't they being more innovative? And I knew he was talking about the employees. And then he paused, and he said, I've told them in all my speeches I wanted more creativity. Yep. Okay, I'll put you two on the spot. How would you answer that question if a CI director asked? It? Maybe the same. And what question.
1: have you done? What have you <laughs> done to demonstrate innovation so <laughs> you are a role model? Now,
2: Jenny, that's you. That's not me. I didn't want to get fired, <laughs> So I just kind of, hama, uh, hama, I didn't know what to say. And then luckily we had to turn to get into the staff meeting. So that's one story. Obviously, he's jawboning. He's telling people every day he wants more innovation. He gets none. And the reason, again, is that survival instinct holds us in place. I don't know what he means by innovation. What does my boss think about the innovation? Is it safe for me? It's all that unconscious stuff going on. So here's another story. Years later, Leon Panetta comes in and he's the mm-hmm. head of CIA. And it's during the hunt for bin laden i don't know if you guys remember that when we were yeah so he had a meeting every wednesday afternoon five o'clock the bin laden team would get together and they would talk about new ideas new approaches where they were on the hunt and so he asked this one poor fellow what new ideas have you got to find bin laden and the hapless soul kind of shrugged his shoulders says chief I'm sorry, I don't have any ideas and none of us have any more ideas. We're ideaed out. Well, Panetta flared out, quickly pulled back and he said, wait a minute, I apologize. It was not you I'm angry at the situation. He said, let's do this. Let's take off, uh, break the meeting now. And when you guys come back next Wednesday, a week from now, you bring me 10 new ideas to catch bin Laden. Mm -hmm. So week goes by, he pulls the group together and says, hey, have you got 10 new ideas? And the, the officer says, no, sir, we've got 37. All right. So what happened? Well, what happened was he gave them mental homework on that problem. Now, what are they thinking about when they're driving to and from work? They're going to be thinking about what are new ways. They're going to be thinking about that in the shower. They're going to be thinking about that when they're jogging. And the group got together before the Wednesday and shared ideas and fine-tuned them. 37 new ideas were delivered. So he used what I call a mental prompt, an insight prompt, to generate that reflection, to generate the insights for new ideas. And then at the same time, the group had certainty generated inside their heads that they could carry out those ideas. In other words, you buy into your own mm-hmm. idea. I just thought that was pretty cool, but it's a totally different way to lead, right?
1: Yes.
0: It's appreciating the brain needs to be in a relaxed state. It's appreciating that the brain needs a little time. It's also giving safety because it's like, I need new ideas and they're just ideas. It's not the end, you know, might not be the answer, but just kind of let's come up with anything. I love that.
1: That's the safety and... A marvelous piece of your story is the role modeling of Panetta. He realized, wait a minute, let me step back. That's monumental. And then let me give you a homework assignment.
2: Jenny, think about what Mitch just said about psychological safety. Had he jumped on the officer, it would have been a totally different tone. Yep. So when you think this way, you think about, okay, What is human nature and then how do we apply our leadership approaches and practices to fit that as as opposed to just trying to come up with the eight principles that we're going to teach today and hope they stick?
1: I have a more minute example that I tend to use with my folks when I'm teaching them coaching skills and it's obvious that Panetta has had some of that coaching, but another thing that I am sure you have studied, Mike, is the brain neuroscience has said that we love bright, shiny things. Yes, the brain just goes there. So how do you build on that? And there are a lot of little ways, to your whole point of use what triggers the brain naturally to help create the path for moving forward in the ways that you're looking to move. Don't try to go against it.
2: Absolutely. It's funny, on my journey over this 20 years plus, Jenny, I have come to believe at the start of my journey, I liked coaches and coaching, and now I am just forever in love with them. Because the reason is great coaches and great teachers use some of these methods that I've come up with. For example, coaches and teachers yearn for that aha moment in the student or the coaches brain or eyes. We live for that. And so asking, active listening, some of these stuff that we've already got out there on the palate really, really works. But this is why that works. This is why it works.
1: And what Panetta did and what you are advocating leaders need to do is give those mental triggers. Get really good at giving mental triggers. We'll improve your leadership.
0: Now, I wanted to move to how did you actually start the CIA Leadership Academy? Because for once we hear it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, it makes sense that the CIA would have a leadership academy. But of course, before Mike arrived, there was no CIA Leadership Academy. So I'm really interested in how you started it. And then what was your philosophy, let's just say, of how you were going to develop your own brand of leaders at the CIA?
2: So Mitch, I had done a massive amount of studies on good bosses, really good bosses and really bad bosses at CIA, pulled out the traits And then even isolated, in a 200-group study, the tiny behaviors, behavioral differences. Building psychological safety is just simple stuff. And building trust, law of reciprocity, helping people out periodically, consistently. Clarity could be something very informal, but it's face-to-face discussions. So anyway, I'd isolated all those. And so now George Sennett came up to me and said, Mike, I need you to start up a leadership academy which was, by the way, I would say the happiest day of my life. I'm looking to see
0: if my wife
2: is here. My wedding day was the happiest day of my
0: life. <laughs> right, right. Okay, good. Good answer.
2: So This was up there. And so what I did the first four days, I sat in a room, empty room, with hundreds of boxes back in the day. That's how we stored things. Pawing through old leadership courses. So the CIA always had leadership courses here and there. But I pawed through to see what really worked, what didn't work. And then I started pulling together a team. Well, you can imagine, you wave a flag, says, hey, we're starting up a leadership academy inside CIA. You get all the leadership groupies and lovers out of the woodwork. So I was overwhelmed with good people. That's great. So I selected them. And then I quickly learned they knew more about course design than I did and a lot of other things because I sprang up through that Operations director at the spy side. I didn't know how to design courses. So I quickly learned they knew more than I did. Number one. And then number two, we went outside to look at the time world class leadership companies, assistants, and consultants. And I'm sorry, I can't mention any of them, but we reached out. So we had the most exciting group. It was an amazing experience. It was like a high. First, first, two years of putting this stuff together and talking about leadership and what are the most important things here and how do we knit it back to the organization because you don't want your leadership training just to be in a vacuum, right? Uh, you know, one time event. So, how do we integrate it back and so on? And we were blessed with top cover, which is absolutely crucial in anything. So That's how we launched it. It was a roaring success. We launched first launched the frontline manager training. And the reason for that is if I could control all the frontline managers in any organization, that's the most important group I think I could control because they affect employees and whether it's trust building and culture and everything. So we went after them first. Then a second course was for middle managers. And then we waited. We built our success before we launched the executive training because we knew we'd get more people looking at us on that side. So we saved that for last. So anyway, we launched it and it worked. And it was just a happy, great experience to do it.
0: How did you influence frontline managers to take the course? or Was it mandatory or was it an option?
2: Oh, there's a story. This was not mandatory initially, and this is really an important concept, and I know some of the listeners may not agree with me on this, but everywhere we go, we hear everybody can be a leader. Well, everybody can practice certain leadership skills, but there is a subset of people who have what psychologists call near psychopaths or narcissists or people with autocratic, extreme autocratic tendencies or micromanaging tendencies that I can't put them through a five-day or a six-month course and come out at the end with some brand-new type of person. Right. And I've even done polls on this. 2,000 people i have asked, have you ever had your worst boss go for six months to leadership training and come back and they were your best boss? And none. There's only one instance in history, and that was Scrooge (laughs) and Christopher Carol. And that took three <laughs> ghosts to, to get that yeah. guy. That's, scared that's away. correct.
1: That or it was a 60 minute television show.
2: So uh, what happens though, the less self-aware you are willing to be, the lower you're going to be on that leadership spectrum. Mm-hmm. So those are exactly the people who didn't think they need the leadership training. So they didn't sign up. What we got were the firebrands who want to be better. Sure. They're interested in leadership. They want to know what are the current tips and tricks to really lead people better. So there's a
1: self-selection. End,
2: yeah, exactly. So the front end, mm-hmm. we got people that were wildly enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a quick story. Another CIA director. When General Hayden came in, he had been director at NSA, and he came into CIA. And at the time, each of us has to write up about a 30 or 40-page document for him about our area what we need, so forth. Well, how does somebody read that stuff? So what I did was I went to Boeing, GE, and Motorola universities. And I said, how many training days does your average new executive have when they're named an executive? And they gave me the number. Then I went to DOD and same thing. How many days have they had of leadership training, student training days? They gave me a number, which was about the same, by the way. And then I went through the CIA SIS records, Senior Intelligence Service records, which are new executives, and extracted exactly how many days. And all I did was put together a bar chart, (laughs) general, which showed here's private sector way up here. Here's Department of Defense general way up here. And here's little tiny bar chart of CIA down here. And you know what he did? It was, again, that visual display of data. He said, it's mandatory. And so that's when that
0: happened. I see. Right. Made the turn. Wow. Okay, last question for our lead out of here is, if you were going to continue the Leadership Academy right now, how would you look at the challenge of building leaders in a virtual and hybrid world where most companies right now actually don't have their people At the office, you were saying like 23 to 40% of the time. So what would be your approach in building leaders in this new environment?
2: Mitch, this is the tough one because just as you cannot build a culture being totally virtual because you're just not having those bonds built the way the brain is geared to build them, it gets very difficult to do insight-type training totally virtually. Let me give you an example. On one extreme, you want to know how do you fix the brakes on your bike? Well, that's easy virtually. We can do a YouTube clip here and you can watch that and you've got it because it's skills-based. But when you get on the leadership, which is the real far end of the spectrum of self-improvement, self-understanding, that's going to require some interaction directly with other people and so on. So my answer is going to be a little fuzzy, but I would say. Okay, try to do 40 to 60%, do virtual, and then do the other 40% or even 30 and do it
0: face-to-face. Okay, good um, so suggestion.
2: I think we're not there yet. I'm open to yeah. new
0: ideas. What I'm finding with my clients is that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. They're finding time to bring their leaders together. It's a challenge for us, all three of us in this room and other people, our listeners, to design things that are going to take advantage of the time that they are together to take on activities that you could not do virtually. Yeah. Yeah. So last question is, where can we find you? Oh, all right. It's Mike Mears, M-E-A-R-S.
2: And I'm on LinkedIn. I wish anybody would click on connect with me there. And then my website is mikemears.com. Everything I do is free. So I've got free newsletters, free periodic table of the Leadership elements, free eBooks, whatever people want.
0: You sent us that uh, the periodic table. Yeah, of that leadership. was wonderful. It's not kitschy. It's really good. Oh you, yeah, really serious, well thought out stuff.
2: Mitch, yeah, one last thing. It took me four months of weekends to put that together. You know what right. it was for? My first class of CIA Leadership Academy graduates. We didn't have a budget for gifts, so I was compelled by necessity to come up with that thing. That's great. So now you're an official graduate, both of you, of the CIA's Leadership Academy. Right.
1: We got it.
0: The only thing is we can't tell anybody. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been so exciting, engaging, deep, informational, learning about the brains, things that most of us don't know about. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you guys yeah. both. This was done. polite.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah, this is like a leadership delight. And thank you, Ginny, so yeah. much. And for both of you on the East Coast, so good to see you. And for the rest of us, I want to thank you for joining us today. And please, if you've loved this podcast, which we've loved so much, please share with your friends, your colleagues, your family. And we look forward to seeing you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere.